And Lord, as we talk about uh, graduations this morning and your work in our lives, uh, give us a hope for the future. Give us a reckless abandon to entrusting ourselves to your care. And Lord, a determination to uh, be participators with you in the work you're accomplishing in us and through us each day. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, it is graduation season, and if you looked at the paper this morning, graduation pictures, graduation announcements. You don't have to know very many people to have had graduation cards or announcements in the mail. You know, you, that means you have to fill out those checks and those gifts and send something back to, but it is definitely the season of graduations. This is, uh, this is a big deal. Uh, graduating is a big deal. We were at a graduation lunch yesterday, and two of our yeah, nephew and niece had graduated from college. You know, it's a big deal, and we make a big deal out of it because it's the completion of something significant in a person's life, this period of preparation, this period of learning. Um, the term graduation because I knew you wanted to know. The term graduation comes from the Latin gratis, and it just means a, a mark or a degree or an increment. So, you know, if you go into a laboratory and you look at a graduated beaker, it just means it's a glass container that's marked by degrees. It's calibrated so you know how much is in there. So you can fill it up, and you can go from one grade to another, one level to another. That's where our term comes from. In school, we go from one grade, one level, to another, and there's this order that we go through a series of curriculum, these prescribed requirements, or we don't graduate. Once we finish the curriculum, we've gone through all these steps or these degrees of learning, these specific series of classes, we've completed the coursework, and we graduate. We celebrate this completion. And that's what we're doing now, primarily with kids from school. So if you're a graduate, uh, how many have graduated or are graduating this semester? I know we've got at least Jonathan. Is that it for us? This Wow. That's a small one. That's a small group. We've normally had a few more than that. But if you're a graduate, Jonathan, this is a great time to celebrate. Or if you're a relative, of a graduate. This is a great time to celebrate and acknowledge the completion, the legitimate completion, if you will, of a course of study. It's no small thing. It's a big deal and something to celebrate. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 8 says, the end of a matter is better than the beginning. And you know, normally it's with some trepidation that we begin something, but it's with celebration when we successfully complete it. And that's what graduation is about. Now, <clears throat> When we're talking about graduation in a school setting, we're thinking about something that's formal and structured. You know that if you go to uh, school someplace, there's a formal procedure you'll go through to enroll and set up a variety of classes or whatever. The truth is, though, uh, all of us in one way or another, we are almost always in some form of an educational setting that is, we're at some stage of life in which God intends for us to go through our own grades or curriculum, prescribed reading or learning material, because he wants to move us from one grade level, as it were, to another. And to do so, he introduces us to lessons, 
and we learn them, hopefully, we apply ourselves to the lesson God's showing us, taking us through, hopefully we successfully complete them, and then we graduate, and we go on to our next level, and that might be more education, or if you're a college graduate in life, it might mean a job for us. It could mean any one of a number of responsibilities. But even if you're not formally, formally a student in an academic setting, you are a student. You're in the classroom of life, and God's your instructor, and he's taking you through lessons. Let me give you an Old Testament example of what I'm talking about. In 1 Samuel 17, the well-known story about David and Goliath, there's lots that we could talk about. I only want to focus on one small part of this story. But you remember David, little David, has left the family farm, and he's taken some food and some things to drink to his brothers, and their army commander's there, parked outside, away from Bethlehem, and there's this big ugly guy on the other side of the valley who's taunting Israel. His name's Goliath. David comes in and he sees this going on. He starts asking questions. Guys, what's going on? And he's told that if anybody could go and conquer that giant, he would be well rewarded by the king, King Saul. So he starts asking questions where we pick up at verse 31. When the words which David spoke were heard, they told them to Saul, and he sent for him. David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Saul said to David, You're not able to go fight against this Philistine. You're but a youth, while he has been a warrior from his youth. In other words, this guy's a seasoned veteran. He's not just big. He's a seasoned veteran. He's a campaigner of many battles, and you're not even old enough yet yourself to have been in a single battle. David said to Saul, Your servant was tending his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went out after him and attacked him, rescued it from his mouth, and when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard, struck him, and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has taunted the armies of the living God. David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Now, imagine David's setting. This is he's a young guy, he's the baby of the family. He's been at home taking care of the sheep. So when this young youthful guy comes up and says he'll go fight the giant that all the seasoned vets in Israel are afraid to go fight, Saul's thinking, What gives? But you see, David has been prepared for this moment because he's gone through some lower grade levels. And he's graduated. So he's graduated from shepherding class 101. He didn't know he was in class back on the family farm, but he was. And this was his class. His father gave him the task of overseeing a few sheep. In fact, if you read earlier in this story, his older brother says, you've left those few sheep in the wilderness. Don't get the the thought in your mind that David's uh, an important rancher overseeing a large estate. He's not. There's a few sheep on dad's back 40. That's what David's left. That was his responsibility. He's the youngest member of the family, so he's got kind of what we would call the menial labor. This is not the, the glory work. This is the menial labor. But David took his task seriously, and he understood that he was commissioned to take care of these sheep. And he also knew God. And so he understood that he had a responsibility not just to his dad and his family, but to God. And he understood that as a shepherd, his task, his responsibility was to take care of these sheep, which otherwise could not take care of themselves. 
So when the lion and the bear come up and attack the flock, David gets it. He's the shepherd. Those under his charge have been attacked, and it's his responsibility to go and rescue them. And he does. Now, this would be tough enough in my mind. You're talking about facing a lion or a bear by yourself, and, and not with a high-powered rifle, but, you know, your club or your spear or whatever. This would be daunting to me. But you see, David got the lesson. I'm God's. These sheep are my father's. I'm responsible for their care. Someone has come in and threatened them, and I'm responsible to go and make it right. And so he did. Well, he didn't realize that in taking care of those few sheep, he was in school. And he graduated when he killed that lion and that bear, but there was no ceremony. But you see, when he gets here, God's graduated him, and now he's in management training. He doesn't know it, but he's just entered his MBA training right here. He successfully passed those earlier tests, those earlier classes, if you will, or that earlier curriculum, and now he's ready for the next responsibility. And it's not a lion or a bear this time, it's a giant. But you see, David's ready because he did his coursework. So he's ready for the next class when he's introduced to it. The the classroom you and I normally find ourselves in is not as clearly parsed and lined out as the girls would be at Washburn. You know, there's a time frame. There's a day that you go and enroll. You enroll only in certain classes. You lay your money down. You go buy your books, etc. It's all very formal and very organized. You know, the truth is, for most of us outside of the school setting, that's not what our curriculum looks like. It's not that finely diced. The schedule's not quite that neat. But I would argue that it's just as real, and especially if you look at this related to stages of life or the ages of your life. For instance, think of this. If you're a child, that is, if you're, let's say, high school age or below, I would argue that the school setting God has you in, not related to the books you're reading for uh, formal education, but the school setting, the classwork God expects from you is primarily to learn obedience and humility, right? Because if God talks to children related to parents, children obey your parents, right? That's the deal. So if you're a young child in God's classroom, I know that part of the lessons, apart from whatever else he's teaching you, I know he wants to teach you obedience, humility, respect, submission. This is a given. That is, in that stage of life, God's curriculum for you, apart from whatever else specifically it might include, It includes these things. So that when you're thinking about, I'm a child living in my parents' house, but one day I won't be, what do I need to learn to be ready for the next stage of my education or the next level of responsibility? I've got to learn obedience, respect, submission, faithfulness. See, if you come out of your childhood years and you don't get those, then there's a sense in which even if you're advanced to the next grade, so to speak, It's like kids today sometimes who are advanced, even though they can't read. You've heard about high school graduates who can't read. What's going on? It's not that they've really successfully completed the curriculum. They're just being given a pass. It's not actually in their best interest to do so. They still can't read. Well, sometimes for some of us, we kind of want to get by on the skinny. And we want to advance, but we don't want to fulfill the curriculum requirements. 
but you won't be ready for the next class if you don't successfully complete the one before it. If you're entering college or if you're leaving home for the first time, <clears throat> apart from whatever other lessons God has for you, I'm sure that he has these, God wants to make your dependence on him, your trust in him, your experience of his fellowship and his provision more real than it has been before because it won't be mediated through parents or friends if you're on your own. There's a sense in which it will become more your own. It has to, or you'll lose it. It has to become more your own. So that if you're a college student or you're leaving home, I can just bet that one of the things God wants you to learn more about, one of the things he wants to instruct you in, is drawing closer to him personally and finding greater dependence and trust in him. If you are married, I guarantee that some of the lessons of life God wants for you is to learn to say no to yourself and yes to someone else. It's to put others' needs, sometimes, and desires at other times above your own. It's taking up your cross daily. That's, the cross means death. That means the end of what I was or sometimes what I wanted so that I can serve someone else as a spouse. If I'm married, pretty much a given, part of God's curriculum for me is learning to say no to myself so that I can say yes to my spouse. This, this goes along somewhat the same line if you're a parent raising children. Uh, raising children can be a great inconvenience. They don't do what they're supposed to when they're supposed to, more often than not sometimes. And so it's inconvenient for us. And We have to put God's will for our child's life in front of our own ease or comfort. We have to be willing to put ourselves out like David did for these defenseless sheep. You know, as a parent, you realize you have the most important work in the world because you're shaping an eternal life. This little girl or this little boy, they're going to live forever. They're going to be with God in paradise or they're going to be in hell without him. And God puts them under your care. This is the most important work in the world. But it requires something of us. It requires us to change and grow. My wife or someone else has made, made this statement about God gives parents children so the parents can grow up. That is, you're compelled to face your own selfishness and, and inadequacy so that you can do the job with your children. So all I'm saying here is, whatever stage of life you're in, God no doubt is teaching you things. If you're in a retirement stage of life, or if by other necessities of one kind or another, you're kind of, you're not very busy, I guarantee God still has things he wants you to be aware of, still has things he wants you to be learning. And it could be things related to entrusting your eternity to him, or looking back on a life that had some things you wanted and didn't have others, and, and somehow coming to grips with God that it's, it's okay. What I got was okay, what I didn't get was okay that, Lord, I can still trust you for this. Or with the options that you have left in your life, you know, typically the older we get, the smaller or narrower our world tends to get because of our own abilities, shrinking abilities. And so part of what we learn in those scenarios is to trust God again in new ways because we're going to find ourselves more encumbered with physical infirmities of one sort or another, perhaps less financial resources. And it's a whole new classroom setting, if you will, of trusting God in a new way perhaps for some of the things we've had to before, but it'll be different. It'll be a new lesson for us.
I'm convinced that many times uh, for us, we feel like we're ready to go and roll in physics 400 when God says we really were at algebra 101 type thing, you know. We can't proceed from one grade, we can't graduate into another class if we don't successfully complete the one that's before. Isaiah says, and in fact, I, I can't remember where this is at, but when Isaiah is speaking with God, God says, to whom will he give instruction? And will it be babes? And he says, no, this is it. God's instruction come line upon line. They come precept upon precept. In other words, it's like a building block. It's building a wall. I had a great math teacher my freshman year in high school. He told us the first day of class. He said, math class is like building a wall. And he said, every day we lay up a course of bricks. And you might not think it's a big deal if you miss a day here or a day there, or you don't do your homework here, you don't do your homework there. But you know, your wall won't be stable and it will fall in for these holes if you don't keep up with this. I've never forgotten that. Well, Isaiah says something along that same line. When God instructs us, it's gradual, it's gradated, grade levels, as it were, and it's continuous. There's a continuum we're building on. So to successfully go to the next level, you've got to complete the course below. You, if we're going to build a new line of block, we've got to have the old line of block underneath it successfully completed. When Paul writes Timothy and he talks to him about church leaders, uh, I think he brings up the same kind of theme about you're ready for the next grade only when you've successfully completed the grade before. Listen to this out of 1 Timothy 3. This concerns both elders and deacons in a local church. Paul says to Timothy, he, that is an elder, must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. If a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? Then speaking of deacons, he says, these men must also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. The point I want to make here is this. In either responsibility, these men were not simply given a responsibility without having first been proven in a lower grade, if you like. That is, on the elders, Paul says, you can't have a guy be an elder if he hasn't proven himself, if he hasn't graduated, successfully completed the curriculum of being a father. Paul's Paul's analogy is if he has not taken care of his own family well, how can he take care of a larger family? If he hasn't been faithful in his own nuclear household, how can he be found faithful in a larger household, God's household? So for husbands and fathers, the work you do as a parent, it's eternal, it's huge, and and I don't want to underrate this in any way in making this point. It's it's the biggest job. But Paul says, if you're going to take this same kind of job, this fathering where you affect other people for eternity, well, that's written just a little bit larger in the local church, in a little bigger household. And the way you'll know that you've graduated and that you're ready for leadership in that larger household, which is a local church, is if you've successfully completed the curriculum in your grade level one down at home. If you flunked 
as a husband or a father, you're not ready to be a husband, a father, father figure, a leader figure in the local church. He says the same thing about deacons. He says, first, let them be tested. You know, if you want to enter a advanced graduate degree program, do you know what they require of you? Almost always. A GRE. It's a test. It's a graduate level test. They, they're basically saying this. If you want in our graduate level program, you're going to have to prove to us that you're capable, that you're fit to step into this curriculum. And you prove it to us by taking a graduate level entry exam. This is what Paul says of deacons. We give them an entrance exam. We make sure that they've successfully completed the lessons and the curriculum that they've already had before we let them into this larger sphere of responsibility. There's an entrance test. So I think it's easy oftentimes most of us feel like small people in small places. Francis Schaeffer has a little treatise he wrote called No Small People, No Small Places. And the truth is anything you and I do in the smallest corner of the world as the most insignificant person in the world still has great value before God if we offer what we do and we offer ourselves to him in worship. Paul talks about that in Romans 12. Any act any service, any place can be holy, glorious, and fully pleasing to God if we offer to Him ourselves in that situation. So there's no downside there. There's no small places, no little places, no little people. But oftentimes, it's in these little insignificant places that God is giving us our greatest education. In fact, I I find this interesting. You know, Jesus says in the Gospels, if you're not faithful in a small thing, you won't be faithful in a larger or a greater thing. If you and I are faithful in the studies God gives us in these little, what might otherwise be considered insignificant areas of life, if we're faithful, we'll be faithful in the larger things. But if we're not faithful in those little things, if we don't successfully complete that curriculum, we won't be ready for the next. Oftentimes, God is preparing us for something else while we're doing what we're doing. So, as a parent, if I'm a husband and a father, I may never have thought about being an elder in a church, but God may actually be using my parenting role at home, both for its own sake, because that has implications all for itself, apart from anything else, but He may also be using that quite intentionally to prepare me but that's my study, that's my classwork, to prepare me to be a leader in a local church. I might not know that. But if I don't do my homework, if I'm not faithful to do my coursework as a father, I won't be ready for that. Back to David, David didn't know that when he delivered those goods there would be a giant and that he had already graduated and was starting graduate school that day. He didn't know that. And you and I typically, we don't know when God's completing one course of study for us and starting another. But we do know this. If we'll give ourselves to the studies at hand, if we'll find ourselves faithful in the things he's given us to do, whatever it is, we'll be ready for whatever the next class, whatever the next grade level looks like, we'll be ready. If we're doing the things right now that he's given us to do, right where he's given us to do them. 
There's a story Ray Stedman told about a teacher. She was a teacher of 25 years. And a promotion came up and was available in the school she was in. So she applied for it. She didn't get the job. She didn't get the promotion. She was a bit miffed because it was given to a person who'd taught one year. So she went to the principal and she said, what gives? I've got 25 years of experience and you promoted her over me. And the principal said, well, that's not quite true. You don't have 25 years of experience. You have one year of experience 25 times. The point was this teacher had never grown. She'd never changed. She'd never excelled. She'd never improved herself. So his point to her was, you've been here 25 years and you've done the same thing 25 years, but you don't have 25 years worth of building incremental gradated experience. So he gave it to someone who looks like they're learning and they're faithful. And I think it's easy for you and I to write off the opportunities we have to study, as it were, to find ourselves faithful in whatever the lessons are God has for us right where we're at. You know, as often as not, if you're in school at any time, you'll probably have a class or two that you really like. Then you'll have a class or two that you really won't like. And it's often the classes that you really won't like that those are the ones you've really got to give yourself to most fully. You've got to work at. When I was a naive sophomore in high school, I had a guy that I thought was my friend. He told me to enroll for the next for junior year in chemistry. And he said that this was a great class, that I would really like it. And I didn't know any better, so I enrolled in chemistry. This was my elective. I could choose anything, right? Chemistry. Well, of course, it's the hardest class I take in high school. And I'm asking Joe, what were you thinking? What gives? But, and I had to work. I didn't get great grades in there. I think I got C's and B's. The truth is, though, when I applied, when I went to college, you know what class served me better than anything else I'd taken? My chemistry class. The science and the things related to the chemistry class were more helpful to me later than anything else I took. So later I was thankful, but at the time I wasn't. I had to work at it. And it was a difficult class. They were difficult lessons. My mind's not a science-type mind. And so it was hard work. Uh, So I had to give myself to it. And then I found out later, gosh, that prepared me for all these other things I would not have otherwise been prepared for. And I think the temptation is this. In your life, you probably have some things that you like. And so it's easy, easy to be faithful. We don't have to concern ourselves too much about that. But it's the things in life that you know are part of God's curriculum for you. They're part of the responsibilities God's given you for now that aren't so easy or you don't like or you don't take to so readily that you have to work at. You have to work at being faithful for. And I think you'll find generally over time that it's the things that you've had to give yourself to and invest and work harder at that you'll find later produce dividends, and and make you ready for things you would not have otherwise been prepared for. The goal of the teaching or the classwork God gives us is to make us, remake us in the image of his son. Jesus says this in Luke 6, verse 40, a pupil is not above his teacher. Everyone, after he's been fully trained, will be like his teacher. You know, in the Jewish world, in the Hebrew mindset, education was 
a whole lot more than books. It included formal learning. Education, though, was primarily becoming like someone else. This is why in the Jewish word, uh, world, the rabbis gathered these disciples around them. These weren't just guys that were reading books. Their goal was to become like their teacher. And God's goal for every one of us, anyone who's trusted in his son, is to remake us, to conform us to the image of Christ. That's the goal. He's the teacher, and his process is to make us look more and more like him. Now, in God's educational economy, there's a textbook. And this is, you know, in college, I, I think it's legal extortion uh, what they do related to textbooks. Hannah, I'm serious. It's legal extortion. Because the, the book publishers and the booksellers in the college, they're all in this together. They're in cahoots and they've got a monopoly in selling you books. And then they change the book a little the next year and they sell you a new book. And it's, it's a rip. God has one textbook. Buy one and you're covered. And, and you know what it is. Yeah. It's, it's, this, it's this right here. This black book or red or burgundy or whatever you've got. It's this. There's one textbook. And I guarantee you, if you're not applying yourself to this textbook, you're not going to pass your class. You're not going to pass your tests either. Listen to what Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3. He says, you, however, continue in the things you have learned. Timothy, you've already learned a bunch of stuff. Continue in the things you've already learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Now, he's, he's learned, Paul's already told us, both from Paul, but also from his mother and his grandmother. And that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man or woman or boy or girl of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Paul reminds Timothy of God's textbook, the sacred writings that he had already learned, but he's got to stay in them. And Paul says if he'll stay in this textbook, he will be prepared, he will be equipped, he will be adequate for every good work. When I master the subject, when I master my textbook, Paul says, in concert with the Spirit of God, I'm equipped for every good work. I'm a graduate student and I can instruct others now. I'm ready for whatever comes because I've learned from the textbook in concert with my mentor, in this case, the Holy Spirit. So there's only one text. There's no ripoff. One Bible. Keep it for life if you want. You don't have to resell it. There's no changes, etc. One textbook. If you're not in the book, you're not going to pass. This is easy. You've got to be in the book to be able to complete the curriculum. And then God has a classroom too. Listen to Paul in Philippians 4. Paul says, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity in any and every circumstance I have learned. In any and every circumstance I have learned the secret of being filled, going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. What is God's classroom? Any and every circumstance, Paul says, I have learned in any and every circumstance. This means that no matter what's going on in your life, good, bad, or ugly, 
It's covered by this. It falls under any and every circumstance. And what had Paul learned? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. We tend to learn in the any and every circumstances that we don't feel personally adequate for. And when we don't feel personally adequate and we give ourselves more fully to God and we pray and we trust him, we find that he is sufficient, his strength is sufficient in all these any and every circumstances. But you and I, if you're in high school or college, great. It's a very systematic curriculum that you're in and you give yourself to it. You complete all that curriculum and you graduate and you're ready for the next phase of life. But whether or not you're in school, all of us, we're in the school of life. God's the teacher. The Bible's the textbook. And any and every circumstance is the classroom. Any and every circumstance. And if we want to be ready for whatever comes next, we've got to be found faithful. If it's tending a few little sheep on the back 40, that's what God will use to prepare us for our graduate class learning. Whatever it is, find yourself faithful in the coursework God has you in right now, and I guarantee you'll be ready for whatever the next class level is or whatever the next responsibility is. But don't slough it off because it's hard or it doesn't appear to be rewarding short term. God inculcates in us through these, if nothing else, faithfulness to him. That'll go a long, long way. So in the season of graduation, celebrate, rejoice. This is like harvest time, you know. Academically, we're celebrating the completion of a season and of a course of life. This is a good thing. Celebrate it. Celebrate with others who are graduating. It's a great thing. But then also remember, even if you're not having a formal classroom or college or high school graduation, when you go home today, ask yourself this, Lord, in the school of life, where have you got me? What are you wanting me to learn? Or Lord, what's the Latin or the chemistry class of my life that I need to work a little harder at? Or Lord, you know, what do I need to be prepared for? What do I need to be paying attention to? Where in your textbook do I need to be spending time? But don't, don't assume that you're on a shelf someplace, lost and forgotten, or that there's nothing important going on. Any and every circumstance, Paul was learning, you and I should be learning. God's textbook is with us. We've got, we're, we're without excuse as far as the knowledge of what God wants us to learn because we've got his word. And, you know, with that, we've got his spirit. You know, John says you don't have need that anyone teach you. Why? Well, because you've got the Spirit. And when you sit down with the Lord and you open this book, the Holy Spirit says he will guide you into all truth. And as you read the truth or the content of these pages, the Father says that he will manifest himself to you. And really, in the end, life on earth or in heaven is not about coursework per se. It's not even about responsibilities. It's about a relationship with a person. And so... Gosh, even if we felt like the courses are tough and we see no fruit, you know, if you're hanging out with the teacher, life's still good. I hope all of you have had some teacher that you found particularly inspiring. And, you know, you'd want to be with them. You'd like, you'd hang out after class just to talk with them. Well, we've got this teacher. I mean, he's the best. 
And you can hang out with him anytime you want. You can talk to him. He'll talk to you. Apart from any responsibility, apart from any grade level rise or any graduation, hanging out with the teacher is the, the best thing we can do anyway. So in the season of graduation, ask yourself between the Lord and you, Lord, what part of my curriculum do I need to work at a little harder? What area of my coursework have I fallen down in? And Lord, help me so that I draw near to you so that your work in my life making me more and more like your son so that I can enjoy you more and more fully is being accomplished in my life. Let's pray. Lord, I'm struck by how easy it is to write off what appear to be insignificant times, insignificant circumstances, insignificant, apparently so, people. Lord, thanks that in your economy there are no little people, no little places, that, Lord, to be faithful to you is at any time, by any person, in any circumstance, is a God-honoring, glorifying thing. Lord, help us to remember that knowing you is the greatest thing we can aim for, that to know you, the source of all life, you who dwell in unapproachable light, Lord, you who created the heavens and the earth, you who know no beginning and will know no end, Lord, that to know you, to grow in the knowledge of you, Lord, is the greatest thing we could ever do. Help us to look at our life, Lord, with an eye to graduating, to successfully completing the things you're giving us to do right now, whatever those might be, Lord, if it's working at a job, if it's parenting, if it's being a spouse, if it's praying, if it's reading your word. Lord, help us to do all these things to honor you and to get to know you more intimately and more fully. Lord, I thank you that you are sovereignly in control of all of our lives, that no purpose of yours for any one of us can be thwarted, that you will complete the good work you've started in each one of our lives. And we want to, with reckless abandon, Lord, cast ourselves at your feet this morning. Say with the saints in heaven, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Lord, thanks for being our teacher and better than that, our Father and our Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.